Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Thursday, October 24th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, with just under two weeks to go, the leading candidates for governor of Mississippi are trading barbs on the campaign trail. Then state health and public safety officials are warning people about the dangers of products containing CBD, a cannabis-based substance. And we're revisiting the siege of Vicksburg in this week's book club. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. race for Mississippi governor is heating up as the major party candidates dispute each other's claims. With less than two weeks to go in the campaign, Republican Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves says his opponent, Democratic Attorney General Jim Hood, is proposing more than $940 million in new spending, including expanding Medicaid. He says Hood will have to raise taxes. Reeves spoke at a campaign event at Canton Concrete yesterday. This business here is representative of literally thousands and thousands of small businesses around Mississippi that benefit from having a pro-growth, pro-economy governor. These small businesses around Mississippi, and this is a prime example of one, that benefits from having uh, conservative legislators that understand what it takes to grow Mississippi's economy. And it's been asked a lot over the last number of days and weeks uh, about how we can continue to grow Mississippi's economy. And, and I will tell you, it's, it's certainly been um, heightened over the last couple of days as we are uh, we have dueling TV ads uh, in the governor's race. Uh, mine talking about uh, Jim Hood's desire to raise taxes on hard-working Mississippi businesses, his desire to raise taxes on hard-working Mississippi families, Um, And then his response ad, which basically says he's not really for raising taxes. Well, my view is if he'll lie to you about his desire to raise taxes, what won't he lie to you about? Now, what we have behind me here today is a couple of different things, a couple of quotes from Jim Hood over the years. Uh, On the gas tax, for instance, um, he criticized us for years because we wouldn't raise the gas tax. He called it an easy solution. Well, it may be an easy solution for a lawyer who works in Jackson, but I can tell you raising gas taxes is not an easy solution for these guys who drive these trucks, who drive back and forth sometimes hundreds of miles each day to go to work. In fact, raising the gas tax would hurt Mississippi workers and Mississippi families more than it would hurt anyone else. You talk about his Jim Hood's desire to raise the corporate franchise tax. He always couches that in terms of these big, bad out-of-state corporations. Well, the reality is that these big, bad out-of-state corporations that he thinks exist employ literally tens of thousands and really hundreds of thousands of Mississippians. And so when he's talking about raising taxes, he's probably talking about raising taxes on your employer. 
Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves is the Republican candidate for governor. Attorney General Jim Hood, the Democratic candidate, takes exception to accusations of tax raising. He spoke with reporters from his campaign headquarters yesterday. I'm the only one in this race who hadn't ever raised a tax. I mean, Tate Reeves is taxes. I mean, these cost us hundreds. There's a, we've got a list of different uh, taxes that he has passed. And so he's making things up, and his latest ad ought to be a consumer protection violation because what he's using are numbers that I was saying that he had cost us. $5 billion and $7 billion is what he's cost us. It's cost us $5 billion turned down from the federal government uh, for five years, a billion dollars every year. And so, you know, he's just sticking those things in there. He's making these things up, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just that's part of the, uh, what we're having to deal with at this point in the campaign. He's trying to scare people he, and by making up things, and, you know, he uh, uh, just, just a, a sign of uh, desperation. Um, you know, he made some claims about uh, ex- expansion of health care. That won't cost us anything. The hospitals are paying those the match of what it costs the state, and he continues to ignore that, that that's what's been successful in other states. And I think it's 37 states have expanded, including Indiana and different states, uh, where it didn't cost the state any money. And he continues to claim that my proposal that we provide community college uh, to those who can't get a grant or scholarship otherwise is going to cost all these millions of dollars, and it's wrong, dead wrong. The numbers were run uh, by Three Rivers, which is a uh, development foundation up in my area. They're the ones that, that came up with the plan that we're doing in my five counties at Itawama Community College. If you want to go to Itawama Community College, you can go uh, with no tuition, no tuition cost, if you can't get a grant or scholarship otherwise. It's a last resort, and it would only cost $6 million, and that's it. And so we, we need to provide that. We'll create a workforce. Tennessee is doing that statewide. That's why they're growing at a rate of 24%, and, and uh, you know, Mississippi's growing at a rate of 2%. Uh, you know, Tate's tax giveaways have, have uh, broken our economy. Our rate, rate of growth is 2%, and uh, Arkansas is 14 Alabama is at 11 and uh, what we're doing is not working, and this is this is why. Attorney General Jim Hood, the Democratic candidate for governor. Voters go to the polls November 5th. We'll have more on the upcoming election tomorrow night on At Issue. Tune in to MPB TV tomorrow at 7.30. And tune in to Mississippi Edition all next week for interviews with many of the candidates for statewide office. Coming up, state health and public safety officials are warning people about the dangers of products containing CBD, a cannabis-based substance. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi officials are issuing a public health warning urging people not to use CBD products. State public safety officials and those with the health department held a joint news conference yesterday about the issue. Some products they've tested, whether in oils or through vaping, contain dangerous drugs like liquid spice or fentanyl. Marshall Fisher is commissioner of public safety in Mississippi. He spoke with reporters, including MPB's Desiree Frazier. Okay, in terms of dealing with CBD, why now? This seems to be, if you look around, it's more and more prevalent. Every time you on the street corners and the strip malls, you see where people are selling CBD oil. You go to the convenience stores, and the Department of Health, uh, as Dr. Dobbs said, uh, and MBN has been doing, you know, some analysis of some of these products. And they're seeing that it's not what it's being marketed uh, to be. So it's a danger to the public. So now is the time to get that information out to the public because people, as Dr. Dobbs said, 
are, are picking up a product that may be labeled and says it's in, you know, if you've got spice in there, you don't know what you're getting. They don't have the quality control that we have with other products that are sold over the counter. Have you had incidents where people have been on the road, troopers have stopped them, and there were indications that maybe they were under the influence of that product? Or would you know even? I wouldn't know exactly. We Constantly troopers and other law enforcement are stopping people for, for impaired driving. Uh, and there's a multitude of different substances. And quite, quite often you'll have more than just alcohol involved. You'll have other drugs. And those determinations are made on a case-by-case basis. If there's an arrest made and if it's necessary, there'll be toxicology reports, of course, you know, with a breathalyzer test and things like that. And sometimes they'll find illicit narcotics inside the vehicles. But, again, that's a case-by-case basis. I think it's important that we're making the public aware. I think the public needs to talk to their legislators. And we, it's, um, it's incumbent upon us, the Department of Health, Department of Public Safety, to let our legislators and our leaders in the legislature know that this is a problem that we need to address. And the lawmakers have been pretty good about addressing those problems when we make them aware. And the people that make these products kind of try to fly under the radar and change up the chemistry like they did with spice, is that still going on? Oh, sure. The stuff, you know, with spice, everything, you know, as you... We're always chasing after the next product. We'll get one schedule from one year to the next where it's illegal, and they've just got other stuff waiting on the shelf. Change the molecule, you know, just a little bit, and it's not considered illegal. Are you concerned about uh, the number of vape shops popping up? I mean, they're on every corner now, it seems like. So this stuff is available readily. I am concerned about it. And, And, again, I'm concerned about the safety and health of the public. Public Safety Commissioner Marshall Fisher. Dr. Thomas Dobbs is the state health officer for the Mississippi State Department of Health. In a moment, he'll talk with our Desiree Frazier about the onset of flu season. But first, he addresses the medical concerns behind CBD, a cannabis-based substance. There is a general perception that CBD oil or oral consumption of CBD is safe. Um, And we're really concerned about that because as the Bureau of Narcotics has demonstrated these products are not what they claim to be. What they say is on the label is not what's in the bottle. A quarter of the samples that they collected actually had spice or synthetic marijuana in them. And we know from years ago in Mississippi, 2015, more than 17 Mississippians died from taking spice. And more than 1,400 were, around 1,400 were hospitalized. So we're worried that people think this is safe. And people need to be aware that these products are not regulated. There is no assurance. There's no assurance of safety in these. And we're worried about people taking these products thinking that they're safe. The vaping issue is a little bit different in the sense that we have a sense now that vaping is more dangerous than people said it was, right? Um, Most of the severe cases have been from people vaping THC. But some of the cases we've had in Mississippi only vaped CBD. And they had severe pneumonia. Um, and, and even just nicotine. So uh, there probably are separate concerns around vaping CBD that are separate from the contamination issue. But if you look across the country in different media reports, a lot of the CBD stuff in the vapes is also contaminated with other things like synthetic marijuana or spice. And, and, and it's made people really, really sick. And we want people to be aware of the risks that are out there. Why would a person use CBD and what forms does it come in? CBD can be consumed in a lot of forms. A lot of it's oral, either as sort of a tincture or as a uh, liquid. Sometimes it's been put in food products like gummy bears. 
But then people also can uh, vape it, like in little vape cartridges. As far as medical benefits, um, kind of like some other things, it's been proposed to basically cure anything. There really is no medical evidence to show that it has much medical benefit other than um, a certain subset of childhood seizures does benefit from it. And there actually is a prescription CBD that's available for that. So hopefully in the future we'll have a better understanding of what the medical benefits of CBD might be. But because of the way that um, FDA has not permitted any research, and now we have this explosion of CBD without any background medical research. Um, of course, people are selling it as a cure for anything, but we really just have no assurance that it has any significant medical benefit. What are some of the, the expectations people are buying it for? What, what do they think it will treat? There are some, peop- some thought that may be for pain disorders. It might be useful, and that may or may not be true. We just don't know. Or anxiety or a whole host of other things people have taken it for. If you look on the Internet, I think it will say just about anything. So at this point, are you getting reports of people becoming very ill from this? Just from the vaping CBD. We haven't had any reports of severe illness from people using the oral supplements. But when we look at what's in these... It's, it's spice, and sometimes it's THC or fentanyl. So um, we know that people will get deadly ill from these things based on our historical experience. Just because we haven't seen it yet, we're worried about it happening in the future, and we really want people to know to be careful because we have no assurance that any of this stuff is safe. What will be some of the signs or symptoms they should look for? Different types of spice have different sort of issues. People who use spice a lot of times will absolutely go crazy. And if you look on, on YouTube, you can see people who have spice reactions, and they're jumping through windows and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But the deaths that we had a few years ago, they went into cardiac arrest, basically, or they went into a coma, or they had se- severe fits of agitation. So um, when people have trouble with synthetic marijuana, it's not usually subtle. A lot of times people take it because of the high, just like marijuana, but when it goes bad, it goes way bad. Now, on the flu. Yes, ma'am. I was at the drugstore. A pharmacist told me he's seen like three dozen cases of the flu come in. Uh-huh. So we're just hearing about this first report of a child getting the flu. Hasn't the flu been out there already? The way that we look at flu is we sort of do a surveillance. So after we're, we're seeing the front end of it, then we sort of report it out. There's actually flu around the year. We don't think about it. But even in the summertime, there's some flu cases. Once it reaches a, a certain threshold of activity, Um, that's when we start raising the alarm bells because we know that, hey, this is an indicator that there may be a lot of cases. And so one of those indicators is our first confirmed flu, um, basically from sampling of of, uh, nasal secretions, and we see the virus there. A lot of the flu cases are just diagnosed um, clinically. Probably the flu has been coming at us slow, but this is an indicator that, you know, maybe it's really going to start hitting us pretty hard. And so one child, what do you want people to know about the flu, whether it's elderly, children, adults that are healthy? Everybody needs a flu shot. Unless you're under six months of age, everybody needs a flu shot. We think about older folks needing it, but really younger folks, young adults, children, pregnant women all need a flu shot. It's the best way to prevent flu and the bad complications. And every year in Mississippi, we usually will have a young, healthy child die from flu. And it's, it's because people don't realize the risks. It, it's, it's really frightening. Flu can be very bad, and it kills thousands and thousands of people in the United States every year. What are the symptoms? So flu will typically cause um, kind of a runny nose, cough, headache, fever. Those symptoms will be sort of be more prominent than, say, than the cough and respiratory. And usually you feel like you've been hit by a train, you know. There's several things about, about the, the flu shot. Um, you know, it's not 100% effective. We know that. 
but um, it's the best tool we have. But if you get the flu and you've had the flu shot, we do know that your severity of illness is not as bad. We know that you're less likely to go in the hospital, you're less likely to die, and you're less likely to spread it around. So there's a lot of benefits from the flu shot, even though we know it's an imperfect, imperfect vaccine. And it has an incubation period. It takes about two weeks after the flu shot to get protection. So the sooner the better. If you hadn't had your flu shot, get it. I had mine a couple of days ago. And then you mentioned something about contamination or touching somebody 24 hours prior to? So the flu is actually contagious about 24 hours before someone is symptomatic. So they can actually breathe it into the air or breathe it onto surfaces and spread it before you're symptomatic. And that's why some people say, well, I'll just go home if I'm sick and that way I won't spread it to other people. Too late. You're spreading it before you know you have it. And that's another reason why it's very important to get the flu shot so you don't get the flu in the first place. And also for everybody to wash their hands and stuff because just because you don't have sick people in your office doesn't mean it won't be that way the next couple of days. Dr. Thomas Dobbs of the Mississippi State Department of Health with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Coming up, we're revisiting the siege on Vicksburg. That's next in this week's book club. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. When the siege on Vicksburg ended after 47 days on July 4th, 1883, General Ulysses S. Grant said the fate of the Confederacy was sealed. Noted historian of World War II and American history, Donald L. Miller, delves into what he calls the most important battle of the Civil War. From the viewpoint of the Union, the Confederacy, and the slaves, Miller delivers real-life characters fighting, dying, and surviving in his book, Vicksburg. Grant comes across the river, and he wins five major battles on his way to Vicksburg. It's kind of a a forced march through the state. He captures Jackson, and in 18 days, he marches 200 miles, wins five battles for them in just six days, and then besieges the city. And the Confederates hold on for 47 days. But while they're holding on, Grant's armies are pillaging and burning plantations, farms, capturing slaves all around Mississippi. So it was a kind of an irony. The longer the Confederates held Vicksburg, the greater they lost, really their whole way of life. You might understand that in Mississippi, there is attention paid to the people of Vicksburg who were under siege for 47 days and who went hungry and suffered as a result. Does your book focus on that at all? I try to give equal coverage both sides. I not only cover the boys on the line. I mean, these guys had it tough. They had no protection, uh, no tents, no shelters, and no relief, uh, no reinforcements. So they slept on their guns through scorching heat, rainstorms, things like that. They're low on ammunition for a while. They solved that problem, and the real problem was hunger. And inside the city, I mean, Grant had them cornered. Really, there was no way to get out of the city, and he bombarded the city. Unlike Sherman, who evacuated Atlanta before he bombed it, uh, Grant didn't allow the evacuation of women and children. And the bombing is pretty indiscriminate. They're throwing these gigantic mortars into the city, uh, big 220-pound shells, and they're aiming directly at churches and homes and anything. It's kind of like saturation bombing in World War II, only because Vicksburg people had dug caves into the sides of those soft lowest soil hills. They were protected from a lot of this fire. And also you could see these mortars coming. They had a long fuse. They went way high in the sky like fireworks, and then they fell. So casualties were minimal, but physical damage was tremendous. The campaign 
that Grant originally launched was supposed to be done in an orderly fashion, and the troops were prohibited from entering homes and, and, and burning private households and things like that. But the troops got out of control. They began to see that even those who weren't abolitionists, that slavery was hurting them, that it was releasing Southern boys to fight. Slaves were building fortifications. The cotton they grew was sold and to buy ammunition. So whether abolitionists or not, they're out to free slaves, and they do that in tremendous numbers. And in addition, there's a lot of resentment toward the South for seceding from the Union. Why are we down here from Wisconsin? They kind of seceded. We wouldn't be here if they hadn't. Uh, with our lives on the line and our families back in Iowa. That turns into indignation, and, and you get an awful lot of indiscriminate pillage where they're actually entering homes, stealing private garments from women's you know, drawers, uh, ripping earrings off the ears of women, some of the nasties of the Yankee soldiers. So they get out of control. Later on, this becomes official U.S. policy, where Grant didn't want his men enticing blacks into their lines. He didn't know how to handle them. After a while, Lincoln orders him to do that and also to recruit black males for military service. So by the end of the campaign, Grant has freed over 100,000 slaves in, in the Mississippi Valley, and he's put 26,000 of them in Union Blue. There was a caption on one of the pictures in the book that said that Mississippi slaves found freedom behind the lines of Grant's army. So did slaves literally follow the troops? Yes, they would, wherever Grant's army moved in Mississippi. For example, the first time Grant invades Mississippi is in late 1862. Wherever he goes, there's a lot of evacuation. Confederate families become refugees, and they take their families and their best slaves, their most productive slaves, to Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana. It's easier for a lot of the older slaves to escape to the Union lines. And even in areas that, where there hadn't been evacuation, uh, they find their way behind Union lines. And once behind those lines, Congress had passed legislation in the summer of 62 that said if a slave came behind the Union lines, he was free and forever free and couldn't be returned to his or her master. And slaves know this, and this is even before the Emancipation Proclamation. And the Emancipation Proclamation, of course, opens this wide open because it only frees slaves in the South. It would like to say, you know, Grant doesn't free the slaves in his own country, as it were, at the time, the United States. Uh, he left slaves in border states like uh, Missouri, Delaware. Uh, slavery was intact, but he frees all slaves in states that are in rebellion against the Union. Donald L. Miller is the author of Vicksburg, Grant's Campaign That Broke the Confederacy. Thank you very much for sharing some of the highlights with us. Thank you for the time. Next week, Miller will be signing Vicksburg at Lemuria Books in Jackson on Monday, at Square Books in Oxford on Wednesday, and at Turnrow Books in Greenwood on Thursday. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.